Good evening. Hey, good evening. Welcome to our comedy night at Oak Hall Church as part of our Real Lives Week. Glad you could join us here tonight. Tonight we have a, a very special guest. His name is Paul Carenza, and he's come to deliver tonight a, a very funny evening, a stand-up comedy night. We're going to get to know him a bit afterwards as well. We have a, a chat with him and an interview to get to know him and his story as well. So I hope you're comfortable. I hope you have a, a drink and some food on your tables. Just sit back and relax and enjoy them. Just to let you know about the, the format for this evening. First half, we'll have a, I'll hand over to Paul and he'll deliver his stand-up routine that he takes around the country. He's, a, he's an award-winning comic. He's a comic writer works with the BBC and many other media outlets as well. He's an author. He's written a lot of books and some are available over there to you for you to have a look at later on tonight as well. After he's done his, his stand-up routine, we've got another special guest, Andy Mayo, and he's going to be playing some music for us tonight, so we're looking forward to that. And then we'll have a break and we'll be able to get some more food and drink and we'll have a, a screen up here telling you about uh, a way that you can text a question, and we'll get to know Paul a bit more personally about what makes him tick and, and his story. So you better send in any questions you like to him, and then we'll have a sit down and we'll have a chat together and, and get to know him and answer those questions. And, and then hopefully we'll wrap the evening up with some more music and, uh, and a short thought to finish off with. So that's the plan for tonight. You're all really welcome. I'm glad you could be here. And uh, without any further ado, should we give Paul a big round of applause and invite him up? Thank you, Paul. That was fantastic. Uh, what a good start to, to tonight. Could we have the next slide up on the screen? If you want to ask Paul any question you like, this is how you can do it. So we're going to have a break in a moment. But on your phones, you're able to, to go to this website, sly.do, and I'll ask you for a code. The code is RLW4. Type it in, write any question you like. You'll be able to see other people's questions there as well, and if you like one of their questions, you can give them a thumbs up, and the more thumbs up a question has, the more likely that we will be there to answer it up on the stage. So have a think, if you'd like to get to know a bit more about Paul and the sort of work he's involved in, anything really, um, no limits there, have, have, a, have a question for him later on. Just like you said, we're going to have a break very shortly, but before we do that, I want to invite Andy just to, to play a song for us and to give us um, something to go off into our break with. So, um, Andy, thanks very much. I'll hand over to you. Great. Well, this is a, a song written sitting in a, in a train station. One of those kind of story songs. Train rattles and sings, sighs and bounces across the edge of town. Why, Per and his as we pull into the dirty station And things weigh heavy on my mind As I think how times, how times have changed Coughs and splutters, hums and crackles, 
as we move away, as we move away. Then I think of what you said to me. Come to me and I will give you, I will give you a rest. I will give you, I will give you rest. Come to me, come to me, come to me and I will give you. I will give you a rest. I will give you a rest. And the trees wave and flutter, bend and rustle as we rush, as, as we rush by. As we rush by, come to me and I will give you. Come to me and I will give you. Come to me and I will give you. I will give you. I will give you. Thank you, Andy. We'll hope to hear some more from you, from you later tonight as well. So for the next sort of 15 minutes or so, we're going to have a, a short break, an interval. You're welcome to go out and get another tea or coffee or a drink. There's going to be some, some food brought around to your tables as well. Text in your questions, and then we'll bring it us all back together shortly for, for a bit of a chat with Paul, a bit more personal chat. Cool. Have a good break. Hello. Well, <laughs> welcome back. Hopefully if you have topped up your, your drinks and... Had some nice nibbles and good food. There's some great supply of food here tonight. So thank you for the team. Hope you're working on that. I had a little panic just now. I thought Paul was going to run out to find him for his um for a little chat. Have, have a seat. Thank you very much. So we've been having some questions coming in, and uh, we're going to just have a chat now, if that's all right, for the next half hour or so, and just okay. get to know you a bit more personally. And thank you again just for your, your stand-up routine. No, well, thank you. Lovely. Always nice when people are here. Otherwise, it's me in a room talking. It's really embarrassing. That has happened, so uh, it really? this has been nice. Well, what's been your, your hardest moment then as a, as a comic? Has there been like, a standout, embarrassing oh, event? Too many to think about. Uh, haunts my dreams. Um, yeah, I suppose, that, I mean, the worst gigs really are, I don't mind a heckle, really, because at least they're talking and listening, in a way. At least they're engaging. Mm. Um, I suppose if you want to find a, a, a metaphor and analogy with any of these, you know, in, in the church, at least if someone takes against what we're saying, at least there's a conversation going, there's a dialogue of some sort. The worst thing is to be ignored, I think. Mm. And I've done gigs. I only did one gig particularly. I mean, you get some gigs which are set up wrong or the, you, you know, there's, uh, um, everyone's there for the, it's a Christmas party and there are 90 plumbers. No offense to plumbers, but only one of them wanted to come to the gig and the other 89 wanted the disco down the road or something. <laughs> and, um, 
but I did one gig where early on in my career, well, I, was inv- I did a 20-minute set there, and they invited me back about two weeks later. They said, we've had a cancellation. Do you want to come back? I went, yeah, I'll come back. But I only had 20 minutes of jokes. I didn't have anything. I had to do set one again. And there were two people down the front who'd seen me two weeks ago, and they remembered all the jokes inside out. They were yelling out the punchlines before I could get to them. <laughs> And you could hear this slow wave of chat from the back when they realised, they go, he's not, he's not, the bloke on stage isn't funny. The two guys down the front, they're brilliant, but the guy <laughs> on stage. And uh, I just had to stand there for 20 minutes and, and listen to this wave of chat. And, um, and then 10 years later, Gatwick Airport, this guy came up to me and he said, are you a comedian? And I thought, yeah, I'm, oh, I must be a bit famous. I've, I've been spotted. And he said, yeah, you wouldn't remember me, but about 10 years ago, I was at this comedy club in Ballam and I was down the front yelling out some of your punchlines, you know, <laughs> you wouldn't remember it. I thought you've haunted my dream for the last <laughs> 10 years. Yeah. Wow. How, how do you cope with those sort of things? Like, do you ever get stage fright? Do you ever dry up and how, how do you feel about it? Oh yeah. Well, you get, oh, you go, I think you, um, it's a constant sense of, of trying to improve and grow and get better at these things but I mean one thing that I've uh, only really the last sort of five years or so started to try and do is when it's not working not if but when because you will get gigs where it just doesn't it's you know something's wrong and it could be something it could be me but it could be the room could be anything about the thing is just slow right down because mm. the the sense in all of us the fl- flight or fight thing flight fight or flight is to speed up to get it over with but then you panic more and the audience sense that more. Mm. But if you slow right down, then people sort of tune into what you're saying a bit more and they're more likely to stop talking mm. and more like, if that's the issue, whatever it might be, but it just helps them focus a bit more. So yeah. just little things like that. But still, I, I'm, I'm overriding the sense in my head that is saying, just race through this and get off. But of course, if you're, if you're booked to do 20 minutes, mm. rushing through all those jokes in 10 minutes is not going to help you. So um, it's true. you just got to, you know... How did you get into comedy? What, how did that start for you? Um, in fact, someone asked this in the break, so I, I'll repeat what I said there, which is I did. Uh, I was an act. I was trying to be an actor. Did drama school, then realised I couldn't act, which was a very expensive way of finding that out. Um, and at the very end of the of the year, they sat us all down and they said, "Just so you know, half of you will never get on stage again, but thanks for the money." And um, <laughs> but they said it, to get on stage again, what you need to do is. Um, Make sure your CV is, is unique and different. And if you can sing, dance, roller skate, speak German, um, uh, clean driving license, juggle anything, put it on your CV because that might just stand you out from the crowd. And I couldn't do any of the things they listed. So I thought um, I had about a week of despondency. And then I saw in, in, if, if this were a film, you'd see me sort of walking past in rain sodden clothes, looking up to a window and seeing an advert for a stand up comedy evening class. And I thought, well, yeah, I'll, I'll do that once, just to put it on the CV for some, get some comedy acting jobs. And I did it once, never expecting to do it a second time, and, but instantly loved it and just hmm. thought, this is, this is better than acting. You know, you don't have to learn any lines. There's no one to share the stage with. You can do what you want. Yeah. Higher risk, maybe, but, um, but I just, I loved it straight away. So I thought, that's the one for me. Forget, not acted since. And um, yeah, that's cool. it. Do you have a favourite comedian or someone you really look up to? Um, I don't, I change it all the time. I've not got one specific one probably, but I do, I like a joke. I like mm. a jokey joke. I can't do them. I find if I do a jokey joke, people groan. Um, but I like, you know, Milton Jones and Tim Vine happen to both be Christians, but also both happen to be probably the two best one-liner comics mm. out there, I think. But before that, you know, um, yeah, Tommy Coopers and Ronnie Barkers and things yeah. like that. Bit of wordplay and, mm. you know, I, I, what I like as well is that, a Tim Vine joke, it's over in three seconds, you know, whereas 
Um, I've got a sponge door, don't knock it. You know, it's, <laughs> it's not the best joke in the world, but it's, it's over very quick, you know, and move on to the next one. Whereas the worst thing is you, if you do a gig and there's like a, a, a rough gig and there's a stag doing or something, and then the best man collars you on the way and go, wait, before you go, here's one for you. And the joke lasts 20 minutes, and it's the most racist, homophobic, sexist joke you've ever heard in your life, and then he forgets the punch on you. think, that is 20 minutes I'm not getting back in my life. So, Milton Jones, Tim Bight, mercifully short. I think it's more good. You say you do a lot of writing as well, don't you? And mm. you, you've done a lot of work, some shows that probably a lot of us have seen, like Miranda and Top Gear and, and shows like that. What's it like working with people who are, who are also very funny on stage and make the whole nation laugh like that? Yes, it's, it's, it's good fun. Such fun, I should probably say. Um, <laughs> Uh, and they're great, you know, and they're all differently uh, challenging and, and but fun in different ways. Uh, we're writing the, I think it's the 11th series of Not Going Out at the minute, Lee Max sitcom. And they're all great to do. At the same time, though, for me, there's, I mean, that's, that's almost like the work in a way. The stand-up is, is, is the fun in a way because uh, it's great to watch it go out on TV in front of millions of people. But at the same time, you're watching it going... Lee Max getting the laugh, you know, and yeah. it's nothing quite like the instant kick of getting a laugh yourself in front yeah, of a live yeah. audience. So there is that, but um, but it also, yeah, great fun to um, to work on those things, and it's it's a real, I mean, it's a miracle anything ever ends up on on telly at all, really, because there's so many hurdles to get through and mm. levels of producers and um, management and and budgets and things like that. And when we did Top Gear, for example, it was. Bizarre working on a show finally with a an almost seemingly limitless budget that you go oh what could we have a if only we could have a helicopter comes in at this moment and on a sitcom like not going out there's no way that would happen mm. they might have a sound effect if you're lucky Top Gear they go what, what sort of helicopter do you want a Chinook do you want a uh, what, what you know yeah, it was yeah. crazy you wow. know but um, but yeah do, do you have a line that you're sort of most proud of that's been aired that, oh. that was yours that you wrote um, I can't think of any. Um, I, I, I don't know, and whatever I say, of course, will disappoint because you go, Re really? That one? Yeah. Really? Um, but I think, well, in terms of, in going back to the thing I just said, there was an episode of Not Going Out. It wasn't the best line in the world, but there was, we had to, in early on, we had to show some bad driving. I think it was Lee or maybe Tim, Tim Vine when he was in it. We had to just have a line that somehow says what a bad driver they are. And I think I just wrote this line going, how about um, we cut to the car that we've just seen in the previous scene upside down, and from a distance you could just hear Tim Vine going, and handbrake on, and that's it. <laughs> and I never thought that would make it, and I went along to the recording and watched the studio audience thing, and you cut to the VT, the bit on the screen, and they showed that bit, and yeah, they, shut, they had a car upside down, and I thought, they turned an entire car upside down just because I <laughs> flippantly wrote that six months ago. Right. So the effort they go into for those things. Mm. So that was great, but also things like Miranda Hart. I mostly do the um, a lot of the sillier stuff with her. So um, probably my favourite thing with that was like, where's Miranda? We did like a where's Wally spoof. And um, but just to see her dressed up as where's Wally <laughs> in a crowded place. And go, oh, there she is. And, you yeah. know, that was... Yeah. And Fruit Friends was another thing I wrote. And Veg to Pals and this idea that she talk, you know, puts faces on her mm. fruit and veg. That's followed me around a bit. Sometimes you get to gigs and people have got some little fruit and eyes on. And that's, that's taken on a life of its own. So that's, that's, that's quite cool. nice too, you know. So what happened with the Top Gear then? Ha. Yeah, I only wrote for the Chris Evans uh, series. And if you didn't see the Chris Evans series, it went really well. Um, and if you did see it, then you know otherwise. But um, it was the best of times and it was the worst of times, really. And in, in fact, last only last week, I was doing the pause for thought slot on 
uh, Radio 2, which is really how I got into Top Gear, because by doing that, I got to know Chris quite well, and he said, come and write for TFI Friday, and then Top Gear. Um, and, of course, and he was the lightning conductor for, obviously, you know, that series when Clarkson, Hammond, and May left. It was, I mean, you know, it was never really going to work in the same way, because those guys were that show, really. The cars were not the stars, really. It was those three. And... Um, and then Chris came and he, we, we, he did his best, but I think the trouble was it was always wrangling from Chris wanting to make it one sort of show. He wanted to make it live, uh, make it kind of out of fun. He wanted to put it on the road, so we literally went around the country this, you know, one week, a bit like the Grand Tour did, going tonight we're in Newcastle, the next night we're in Cardiff. Um, but the top, the old school Top Gear team, the BBC people, wanted the same track, not live, they wanted pre-recorded. And all of those, the two sides were sort of wrestling each other, I think, to try and make it work, and therefore it didn't kind of work. Mm-hmm. But yeah, only last week I was doing the pause for thought, and it happened that on that show, Paddy McGuinness was in, talking about presenting the next series of Top Gear, and so that was awkward. And, and standing over Paddy's shoulder was my old boss, Alex, who's the producer, the head of Top Gear, and he'd not seen me since he effectively sacked me. Um, so, so that was lovely to put that to rest. But then, in the, in the way TV is, it's, I had no, pro- you know, no problem. With it. it didn't work that series. So, if I were him, I would have probably cleared out everybody I could as well yeah. uh, to cool. try and get a clean slate next yeah. series. So it's fine. You move on. You know. Good. So you're a Christian, and uh, I just want to want to know how how does that impact? In the world of comedy, um, often Christianity and religion is a, a butt of many jokes. Mm. And there's the question there, so, so what's it like writing as a Christian? How does your faith come into your work? Yeah, I think in a couple of sort of different ways. I mean, one of the things, I suppose, is just being, it's like any job, but I think I've only discovered in the last uh, maybe 10 years or so, 8, 10 years, uh, that I've been more out as a Christian. It's not that I, that I really hid it under a bushel, I suppose, but certainly as a stand-up, I didn't talk about it on stage before, and largely because I just couldn't find anything that funny about it. And as you said, I didn't want to make it the butt of a joke. So in the way that earlier... I mean, it's always weird talking after a comedy set because we sort of start to analyse things a bit. I think it was Woody Allen who said, analysing comedy is a bit like dissecting a frog. You know, you might learn something, but the frog dies. Um, so... <laughs> without wanting to uh, ruin uh, or anything um, before. But at the same time, you know, I talk about being Cornish by sort of mocking it a bit. Talk about, I sometimes talk about being ginger, except I'm no longer ginger, so I don't do that anymore. But I used to be self-deprecating about that. And what I didn't want to do was talk about being a Christian and get laughs from knocking it or mm. mocking it in some way. Mm-hmm. So it, was, uh, it took me a while to find a way of talking about it in a fairly open way that wasn't also in some way mocking it. Um, and just making it part of me, really. So I think I sort of became a bit more known on the comedy circuit and as a writer with a faith, maybe about seven, eight years ago. And um, But one, one specific way, for example, that I could think of uh, that, that comes through, I suppose, is I did a lot of script editing work about uh, ten years ago. And that means that someone else has written a sitcom, and it's in development, and uh, a production company's working with it, wanting to pitch it to the BBC or to Sky or whatever, but they want to get this the, the best script possible first. So I get the phone call and they say, we've got this script, uh, we want to pitch it to BBC Three, this writer, he's like the voice of youth, you know, he's, he's nine, um, and it's sort of, got, it needs more jokes in it, can you kind of spruce it up a bit? And I'd look at the script and it would be for an 8.30 at night show, but so they couldn't say, they couldn't swear, for example, because it's before the watershed, so they couldn't use the S word or the F word. But therefore, instead of that, they would say Jesus and God and Christ in a, an expletive way, you know, as 
dare I say it, um, I don't want to spoil it, but out, in the outside world, people do, do do that, of course. And I shiver when I hear that. I sort of, I've got non-Christian friends of mine who often seem to think wrongly, I think. They go, oh, well, as a Christian, we better not say the F word around you, but instead we'll say Christ as, as if that's a milder version. And I go, no, no, I'd rather hear the F word than that. No, don't do that. So similarly with the scripts, I get the script and you'd have, I don't know, a big, you know, in sitcom, you normally have a character who's in, uh, pushed up against things and uh, a little, you know, um, kind of railing at the world in some way. They're all, I mean, in a way, if you look at the book of Job, the character of Job in, in the scriptures, that's kind of like a lot of sitcoms, isn't it? You know, you're kind of, there's one uh, comedy producer who described it as, in all sitcoms, you chase your characters up a tree and you throw stones at them, you know. You kind of make it tough for your characters. You make them rail against the world. And so a lot of these writers would... Um, would use these words, you know, Jesus and God and things. And I think, no, I don't want that. I want to, but what do I do? Do I put my hand up and say, as a Christian, uh, I do not like this and it shouldn't be in here. And if, I, even if they accept it on this occasion, next time they'll find a way to exclude me from the process. So I always thought I'd rather be part of the process than not. So what I do instead is I zoom in on those lines and just try and make them better and funnier and more creative, more inventive. Because if you look at the really good comedy shows, you know, Blackadder and Basil Fawlty and things like that, they didn't use any expletives. And yet they could show, you know, Basil Fawlty was probably the angriest character on television. Uh, Blackadder was the most cynical, probably. And yet they did it through, you know, just being funny. They could say that they were frustrated with the world mm. in a Job-like way by just being uh, better than that, I think. So just be better than that, I think, is what I try and do, yeah. Great. There's a question here from someone that says, what do you think about the fact that we read in the Bible that Jesus wept, but we don't hear anywhere that he laughed. Interesting. Good question. Very good. Good question. What's the next question? Let's have another <laughs> one. That's, um, no, it's, um, yeah, I, I think it's, it's fascinating. I mean, one thing I've always thought about, uh, one, one reason I think that sounds really flippant, but, but, but the Christianity is the faith for me, I think, is that it's, as far as I'm aware, the only religion really that doesn't just say God is this big, uh, distant creator, but it's also human and upfront and uh, he's been there in Jesus, really. And Jesus weeping is that. It's him, it's the human uh, Jesus coming through there. Um, and the way that I think that can link with comedy is, you know, a good observational comedian. I mean, any comedy, really, but particularly observational comedy. You watch Michael McIntyre or something. I'm not likening Mac Michael McIntyre to Jesus in any way at all, apart from the fact that both are human, we're all human. And I think when you look at comedy, often it's, it helps us process the world and it goes, oh yeah, I've been there, I've done that as well. I thought it was just me who does that. It turns out we all do that. And that's a sense of community and a sense of belonging and a sense of you, you hopefully come out feeling a bit better about yourself. And I think good comedy does that. I think bad comedy... Uh, is, is really the ones that kind of punch down rather than punch up and the one that actually you walk away kind of feeling a little bit dirty from it because you go, actually, that not only didn't shed any light on the world, it made us all feel a bit darker. And I don't think you want that. That's not comedy. That's tragedy, really. Mm. So I think, um, oh, this doesn't quite answer the question, I'm sure, but I just, I love the fact that Jesus, uh, God in human form, God sending his son for us to go through what we are going through mm. and worse is... Um, it's really something we can relate to, and it just means that we are, in that small way, be able to relate to our creator, which is amazing. Yeah. And, and also, in terms of humor, I do think that Jesus, I'm going to say, he was a comedian of sorts, because humor changes so quickly. You know, mm. we don't laugh at a Shakespeare comedy, which was 500 years ago, let alone 2,000 years ago. But when Jesus is saying about 
you know, a speck of sawdust in someone else's, but you've got a plank in your own eye. It's a use of humor. It's not only that, he's got a carpentry background. He's using literally planks of wood, the, the language of the people. Mm. Um, fishes of men, and he's using the, the terms of the trade of people, working people with him. Uh, I think in ways that I'm sure would be, it's a use of humor that gets a message across. That's what parables are really, isn't it? Mm. They're stories that just yeah. get those messages across. Yeah. Great. Can you, can you tell me about your own journey then of faith and you know, why you see, you see Christianity as, as the religion for you? Why are you a Christian? Yeah, I, I, um, uh, my parents aren't religious particularly. They're not, they, they might tick Christian on a census. I don't know. They've not let me see it. But, um, but they, they don't go to church. But they would send my brother and me to church uh, when we were sort of kids and teenagers. I think because of the free childcare, I think. I'm pretty sure it was, you know, we're in the choir and the youth group and the scouts and the... The girl guides and the brownies, everything, whatever they could get us in for. Um, but it meant that I, I went on these, um, uh, you know, kind of pathfinder. It was, it was called then like these sort of teenage Sunday school kind of, you know, the youth camps and things like that. And that's where I became a Christian um, when I was about 15 or so. Uh, it was on a big, uh, sort of every summer we'd go away to the same place. It's like a, a canal cruise thing, four canal boats, 40 kids, teenagers and adult leaders and it was like a really slow, uh, you know, I know you do the, the Christianity Explored course. And it was like a really slow version of that. Like one week a year, I could go with my questions. And so one year, we'd be like zooming, I'd be zooming in on like, what's prayer? What is that? You know, and then hopefully by the end of the week, be able to do it, you know. And the next year might be more about, well, let's work out what is the story of the life of Jesus? Or the next year might be about the disciples. Who were they? Were they brilliant? Were they completely flawed? Were they, you know doubters betrayers and uh um and um and deniers as they in fact were you know so just puzzling all that out really from a, the age of about 14 to 18 mm. and then i became a christian in that process on a riverbank on a canal side in birmingham and thought yes i think this is this is i want to know more and i'm going to give myself over to this um, and then i did a theology degree to sort of go trying to work it out a bit more intellectually and work, you know, read the bits, do a bit of ancient Greek and stuff. And it wasn't a vocational course, wasn't to become a vicar or anything. And in fact, our New Testament lecturer is, was and is one of the staunchest anti-Christian uh, lecturers there is. And he started the course by saying, any Christians here, we're going to try and make sure that's no longer the case in three years from now. And my faith sort of survived him forensically trying to point out flaws in the text and all that but for me it just kind of made it stronger really I think and just showed that actually yeah we've got four gospels that maybe say different things but they're different angles on a life story and um, you know the details uh, the, the stuff that shines through I think is the important stuff mm. so um, so I'm still puzzling it out but I think that's okay because it's, yeah. it's, it's a journey isn't it and, yeah, we, um, right. uh, and we're all different you know that's why people have those different faith backgrounds but also where you currently are uh, we don't have all the answers, but it's fun finding them. Yeah. Mm. And what difference does that make to your life today? Like, how do you experience and live out this faith? Yeah, I think, and I, it's still a process for me. Certainly, when I started stand up, uh, twenty, nearly twenty years ago now, I, I would say I, I, I called myself a Christian. I was, but really, I was checking in once a week on a Sunday morning. And I think that was probably about it. You know, I, in the week I would maybe read a bit of the Bible if I was lucky. Some weeks, but not all. And um, and then I remember thinking at some point I heard someone say about you know being a Christian is not just a Sunday thing. This you know it's about through the week as well. I thought yes, you're right. There 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 are events on a Thursday night as well. And then I thought oh no, it's not about that, is it? It's about living out that faith and about um, realizing uh, that actually it's a different way of of living and being really. Mm -hmm. And 
And it is still an ongoing journey. In fact, when we, when we had kids, I think that was again a bit of a change for me. And I started to, to appreciate, I think, a little more what I was putting out there into the world. I was never kind of a Frankie Boyle sort of comedian, but I did occasionally have jokes that maybe had a go at a celebrity or, or was kind of jumping on a bandwagon in some way mm. and having a go at something. And I just thought, that's not me. I thought I felt kind of wrong doing that. And it was a cheap laugh and an easy laugh. Mm. But um, I think, yeah, when I had kids, I suddenly started thinking of the weight of words a bit more. And actually, and it, it, and it ties into everyday conversations as well as a stage, I think. Just having a, a sense of, if we're gossiping, you know, in a pub or something, if we're saying things behind someone's back, is that really, is that what God wants for us? And I kind of don't think so. I think um, there's a reason that, he, you know, he wants us to be beacons and he wants us to be, uh, to, be, to be just people following him on the right path, which means that we then just get to illuminate things more for everybody, I think. Mm. And mm. just, the, you know, it's, we're, we're fallible, flawed people. So I still get it wrong sometimes, but um, I think it's just helpful, at least when you know when you're going wrong, that you can try and just be, uh, be a person who's living out what God wants us to. Yeah, thanks. Someone, someone asks here, how do the comedians that you work with react to the fact you're a Christian? And they say, I've seen Lee Mack on, on shows being thoughtful rather than dismissive about God. Mm. So, yeah, how do, they, how do others react around you in your work? Yeah, it's int- Lee's quite a funny one, actually, because he, he's very, um, you know, he's, he's quite secular in his sort of his general outlook, I guess. But um, as, you know, as, as many of us are, even people of a faith you have, we're in the, you know, the working world and so on. But... He, I went to his, his 50th birthday last year, and he was quite proudly introducing me to other people, going, oh, Paul, this is Paul. He does the Pause for Thought, that we call it the Thought for the Day, because that's the Radio 4 one. But he does the Thought for the Day on Radio 2. He does all the, all the God bits on the, on the breakfast show and all that sort of thing. Mm. And he's always quite proudly going, you know, this is, he's sort of a bit of a, a chaplain to the celebrity sort of thing, which is utterly not the way of looking at it. But um, he... So, yeah, some people, I think, are... I've wrongly uh, ashamed or embarrassed to be puzzling out any sort of spirituality. Mm. Um, Lee's always got that slightly, as he said, slightly interested, I think, and hopefully we're working on that a little bit. But on, in fact, one of you, you can listen to Desert Island Discs, for example. There's a podcast of it, so you can listen back. You look at the podcast, Desert Island Discs and Lee Mack. Uh, the point where on Desert Island Discs, they offer you a book, and you, can, you have the Bible in Shakespeare as standard. And interestingly, Lee says, oh yeah, I would definitely take the Bible. Because he said, I find it bizarre that um, I've never really read the Bible. And I, he said, I'm very happy to be mid-40s, as he was then, uh, a bit dismissive of religion, um, perhaps. But actually, he said, there are people who live by this. And I've not found the time to puzzle out whether they're right or wrong. And he said, if aliens came down tomorrow and said, tell us about the human race, tell us about planet Earth. He said, oh, you could say there's a book that some people uh, follow and, and read and have done for centuries, and it purports to give you, a, you know, a, a different outlook on the world and a way of living and a way of uh, assessing the universe and working out something bigger there. And the aliens would say, great, what's in this book? And he goes, well, I don't know, I've never bothered to read it. He said, isn't that mad that I've not found the time? So he said, on my desert island, I would definitely find the time to sit down and read the Bible uh, cover to cover. And uh, I, hope, I hope he finds the time before the desert island, yeah. you know. But I just think there is a, a curious interest there. And, so, and I found the same with Chris Evans. Certainly when it's, since he's moved to, you now he does Virgin Radio Breakfast. If you ever listen to any of that, he's, you know, in terms of, uh, he's on a journey in terms of spirituality, uh, philosophy, a way of looking at the world, and he, he certainly engages with wisdom in a, mm. a way that I think many in the public eye don't. So, I, yeah, I, most people are fascinated, I think. Yeah. That's cool. Thank you. 
So our week of real lives we've been having here has been focusing on the theme of, of identity. And we've been looking at different avenues and, and how that affects us. And so, and so someone asks, how does comedy affect your identity? And, and maybe you could explore that a bit more. Like, what is your identity? What, how do you define yourself? You know, what labels would you use, if, you, if, if any? Oh, yeah. What about this big, big, big question? I think it's on a lot of it, people's minds, identity. Who it are is. We? It's a good question. Uh, I'm Paul. I, uh, I've been a Christian for 20 years. And I know. I don't know. Um, it's something I, uh, I ha- don't have an easy answer to. Um, and also, it's something I grapple with a lot, I think, mm. because uh, especially in terms of the work-life balance, the family side of things, my wife finds it incredibly frustrating that I, uh, she's, she likes things kind of by the book and by a routine, and I am the opposite. I am all over the place. Some Saturday nights, I'm gigging across the country and I drive back home and I get home at three o'clock in the morning. Some other Saturday nights... Uh, I get setting the alarm for three o'clock in the morning because on the Sunday morning I sometimes cover the local radio breakfast show, the Sunday breakfast thing, you know, the religion and ethics and mm-hmm. things like that. And that needs to be, I need to be up at three to get to Brighton for quarter five to do the thing. And so my wife's going, well, what sort of Saturday night is this? Are you going to come in at three or go to bed at three? What is it? You know, which are you going to? So I'm very uh, conscious that I don't want to overly define myself as a comedian. Um, I, also in a way mind you, I'm trying to do more writing so that I sort of am gigging less less far away a bit more sociable but at the same time writing it can, that can consume you as well you, I'm trying to write a novel at the minute and of course you find yourself there half asleep half awake thinking oh that's a good idea we can put that down and, and every, every writer's got a, either a notepad by the bedside or your phone to add on a little notepad and uh, someone once said you know if you if you wake up in the middle of the night and you can't find the pen or the paper, you convince yourself that it wasn't that good an idea anyway and just let it go somehow. But it's tricky, you know. And it, so it does, it's not a job where you switch off from too easily. And that's a danger, I think, obviously. You don't want to, uh, to, to take that home with you all the time. You want to be present for your family, for those that are important to you, um, and just in conversations in everyday life. So I think it's, it's uh, one thing I heard recently, though, in terms of the story, uh, the writing side of things, um, I'm a bit of a geek in terms of story structure and analysing these things and what makes a good story. And I heard someone on a podcast say that in a lot of stories, in a lot of fiction and films and things, you, characters either see themselves in terms of growing and they're on a growth journey or they're in terms of winning and losing, where it's a binary thing. And most of the time, they said, you'll find that uh, characters on the wrong path think of it in terms of winning and losing. And characters on the right path, uh, so you know, a, a villain, for example, often thinks of it, I have, to, I have to defeat this person. Or a hero that's on the wrong, that's misunderstood it, often thinks about, I have to win that battle. But actually, at the end of this film, they realise it's more about the journey. It's about, well, how have I grown to at this point? And I might still win the battle, but it's about uh, the growing journey. And more and more, I'm thinking, actually, yeah, it's about that journey. We're all on that. It's why um, I try and realise I've not got all the answers. I'm still growing as a Christian. I'm growing as a father, as a husband, as a friend, as a son. All these different identity moments, I suppose. I'm still learning. I'm still trying to grow. I'm trying to get better. I'm not trying to get, trying to get not worse anyway. Um, but also as a Christian, in terms of the winning and losing thing, I was thinking in that wide picture of it all, that's been done for us. And I thought it's really. I know this this podcast was a secular non-christian story writing hollywood screenwriter podcast but i just thought they've made a bit of a point there really 
that actually, yeah, if you're on the, if you see it in terms of winning and losing in everyday life, for us to win the next, you know, if we're trying to win the next argument or win that contract at work or our football team winning, you know, all of these things uh, have, you know, a finite and a, and a narrow-minded sort of a purpose to them. If we grow as Christians, grow as people, that's all we can do. The winning, the real winning, has been done for us, you know, by God sending Jesus, conquering death. That's been done. That's a massive tick. We can go, that is being done. We can live and grow happily in the knowledge that that's taken care of. And that, for me, is why, in terms of another sort of slightly academic way of looking at it, life's a comedy, not a tragedy, because it's got a happy end to it. It's, mm-hmm. it's got that upward turn that a comedy has. It's not got that downward turn that uh, a Shakespeare tragedy has or anything. I know someone's pointed out that, you know, those two masks of the comedy and the tragedy have that, the smiley face or the unhappy face. And that's because, you know, the arc of a tragedy goes down and ends on a down. And the arc of a comedy maybe goes down in the middle, but it comes up again by the end. And, mm. and that's, I think, what life is as a Christian. It's, mm. We have our tough down moments, but it's got that great end, that victorious end that's been won for us. Yeah. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for sharing. I think that's a, a great place to wrap it up. And, um, Thank you. We're so appreciative of you coming here tonight and for uh, just for sharing your, your gift with us and, and making us laugh, but also just sharing your story and uh, showing us what it means for you. So can we just give a big round of applause to... Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'll go that way. Thank <laughs> you. Amazing. I'm going to put Andy up again. He's going to sing us another song as we wrap things up. And uh, I have a final word to say after that. So, Andy, over to you. Oh, it's been a great evening, isn't it? Really, uh, really special. I, uh, listening to uh, Paul talking there about a God who's come and uh, done the winning for us in the person of Jesus coming close. <laughs> It reminds me of a, of a walk I was having uh, a while back with a girl called Natasha, a friend of mine and Faye's, my wife. And uh, we were walking and talking about some of the big themes that uh, Paul has brought up for us tonight. And uh, as we talked about a God who comes towards us, comes to the rescue in the person of Jesus, she was kind of delighted and, and, and intrigued. And as we were talking, her big question was, well, it sounds so good. It sounds amazing, but, but is it true? And uh, as we were walking and talking, and then later that evening, I, I wrote this song um, for her. May you know the truth, and may you let him set you free. May you find the one seek may you hear his voice whisper out whisper words of peace come to me are you weary and burdened Take my yoke and learn from me, for I am humble and gentle of heart, and you'll find rest, rest for your soul, 
your fine rest, rest for your soul. For your soul, may you see the tomb in the morning light. May you see it gaping wide. May you hear the news. Out, ringing, he's alive. Come to me, all you weary and burdened. Take my yoke and learn from me, for I am. Your fine rest, rest for your soul. Your fine rest, rest for your soul. Your fine rest for your soul. Your fine rest for your soul. Thank you, Andy. And thank you all for coming tonight as well. I hope you've enjoyed yourselves. On your tables, there's a little toast rack with all sorts of flyers and books and things on there. They're all free for you to take away. If you've got any thoughts, there's a thoughts card. Uh, if you want to keep in touch with us, you want to write a comment, something's impacted you tonight, you want to talk to us more about some of the things we've been talking about, then, then write your name on the back of this and, and leave it on your table. We'll come and collect those rounds. 
later on. There's also a copy of one of the biographies of Jesus, a man called Mark, who wrote this short story of all about Jesus' life. And you can take this away and read it. And also there's an invitation to you as well. If you would like to, to explore more about this Jesus that, that um, we've been talking about tonight, that Paul has shared about his own faith in, that we have a course called Christianity Explored, where we can go through a bit of this book, and we can ask any questions you like, and we get to find out more about who Jesus is, how he impacts this world. You can bring any questions you have, and over six nights, six Monday evenings, you're invited to come here, and we'll have a small group where we can chat and watch a video together, bring any questions, and we'll do our best to help you explore Christianity with us. Thank you for coming to our, our Real Lives Week. This is the, the second to last event, the special week. of. If you've been to others, I hope you've enjoyed them throughout the week. And tomorrow morning, we have one more event. And there's a, a picture up there. We've got two police, well, one, one policeman, one ex-policeman, who are coming to share their stories with us. Fascinating people, both of them. I've, I've met both of them, and, and I, I know their stories. And uh, one was trying to be a good cop. One was a very bad cop in the end. But both met Jesus, and their lives have been transformed by him. And so come along this morning, uh, tomorrow morning, 11 o'clock. The tables will be out like this. We'll have another cafe. There'll be coffee and cake available for you. Come and, and hear some more of their story. And, and there are a theme of identity and justice and who this God is that they have both met. The bookstall is still available there. Paul will be available to chat, maybe even sign a book if you, if you purchase one of his. Um, it'd be good to do that. I just want to finish by, by reading one of the words of Jesus. And he, he says, he met a man one, one night, it was very dark, uh, sort of like tonight, it's, it was late in the evening, he was trying to hide, and uh, this man met with Jesus, and he wanted to know how I can know Jesus, how do, how do I know what eternal life is like, how do I really know what it means to follow God, and Jesus said to him that, that you need to be born again, and this man, he didn't understand what that meant, how can I be born again, surely we're only born once, do I go back into my mother's womb, he asked, and he said, no, you need to be born again of the Spirit. You need to be, become a new person, a new creation. And, and Jesus goes on to speak to this man. His name is Nicodemus. And he, he tells them a bit later on, one of the most famous passages that we probably read in the whole Bible. And he says, look, this is what it means to be born again, to believe what I'm about to tell you. And Jesus said to him, he said, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. I don't know what picture you have in your mind of Christianity, whether it's got a bad name, it gets ribbed a lot, and it's the butt of a lot of jokes, as we've heard tonight. But the story of Christianity, the story of, of Jesus, isn't one to condemn the world but it's one of hope, one of life. And he says that whoever believes in Jesus, whoever is born again in him, by putting their life in him, it gives you the most amazing promise you could ever imagine. It says that you will have eternal life. You will not perish. Though our, our bodies will die one day here, there is an eternal life in glory on a new earth with God himself walking amongst us. And we could ask him all those questions that we would love to ask of God. What it was like to joke and to laugh with him, to cry with our God, our creator. 
And this is, this is the most beautiful promise. And, and I know Paul has met this Jesus and the impact it's made on his life. I know this Jesus myself. It's transformed my life and many others too here at, at this church. And we'd love to you, for you as well, to come to know who this God is yourself. So we put on events like this to have a good time. We like to enjoy life. God gives us life to enjoy and all the gifts around us. But the greatest gift we could ever know is to know Jesus as our Savior and to walk with him, to be born again in him. So there's a thought as you go from here tonight, just to think about that. Take some of these leaflets, have a read for yourself, explore. You know, have you ever picked up the Bible? If you're on a desert island, like Paul was saying, and someone came to ask, what is this book that's influenced people for for thousands of years and changed lives? Have you ever read it yourself? Do you really know what it's about? Do you know the Jesus that this book describes? Well, there's a challenge for you tonight to do that. Make sure you do know who this person is and the way that he impacts all of life around us. So thank you once again for coming. Can we give a big round of applause once more to Andy, to Paul, to everyone else who's helped here. Great. Thanks for coming. Grab a book, grab another drink, take your flies away. God bless you.